Good evening and welcome to our Bible study. And as you know, we're going through the book of Job. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Job chapter 19 and we're going to read from verse 23. Job 19, 23. Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll. They were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in rock forever. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end, He will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him, with my own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. If you say how we will hound him since the root of the trouble lies in him, you should fear the sword yourselves. For wrath will bring punishment by the sword. And when, and then you will know that there is judgment. Shall we pray? Father, again, as we come to this book of Job, we seek your guidance as you guide us through it. And that we will hear and understand the things that you would have us understand. And Father, we come to you again this evening in the precious name of our Saviour. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. Well, you know, the journey through the book of Job at times can be an uphill climb. And yet, on the other hand, it can accelerate downhill as it goes from apparently bad to worse. But, you know, like any long journey, a refreshing stop always is a welcome thing. So this evening, we arrive at an oasis the oasis of hope. We will see in these following verses that Job has a wish. Job's wish turns into a hope. This hope becomes a certain hope, and this certain hope will become a hope realised. So let's have a look at these verses together. Verse 23. Job says, All that my words were recorded, but they were written on a scroll that they are inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in a rock forever. You see, his hope is that what is happening to him will be remembered. He himself is in no condition to keep a diary. He's struggling to keep himself together, let alone to keep a written record of the things that are happening. He has something that he wants everyone to know. And his wish is that someone would be able to record it for him. His hope is that a record of his conversations between him and his friends will be kept forever. Not just written on a scroll, but engraved into something more substantial. What is it that he wants us to know? Well, of course, he wants us to know how he is suffering But more importantly, he wants us and everyone else to know what he knows. And what is it that he knows? Well, he tells us here in verse 25. I know that my Redeemer lives. You know, the wonderful thing is that these words have become one of the most quoted verses in the Bible. So there's Job's wish for that to happen, fulfilled. 
This is what Job wants us to know, that he has a heavenly advocate who can plead his case for him, one who is on equal terms with God. And this tells us that Job is a man of faith. He has a hope in things not yet seen. Job wants us to know that his faith is in the Lord, the one who he calls his Redeemer. And what does he know about his Redeemer? Well, verse 25 goes on. I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand on the earth. This hope that Job has is a certain hope, and it extends to the hope that one day his Redeemer will stand on the earth. And this again is a hope in things not yet seen. And then he goes on in verse 26, And after my skin has been destroyed yet, my flesh, in my flesh, I will see God. You see, at this stage, Job is near to death. Job doesn't really think that he will survive. But he knows that if he dies, and even if he dies, he knows that he will see God. And verse 27, listen to the confidence in these words. He says, I myself will see him with my own eyes. I am not another. And how my heart yearns within me. You see, Job expresses his hope in the reality of the resurrection. A time when he will see God with his own eyes. And why does his heart yearn for this? Well, it's because he knows that when that happens, in that place there will be no more pain and no more sorrow. Although Job has no physical evidence of the resurrection, he has no physical evidence of a redeemer or an advocate, but his hope is a certain hope. I want us just to stop for a few moments and consider this. You know, sometimes we can be lulled into thinking that the real work of salvation only started in Bethlehem with the work, with the birth of Jesus, as recorded for us, and quite rightly recorded for us, in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. But there's a lot more to this. You see, Mark opens his gospel by reminding us that the prophets knew all about the fact that God was at work all the time, that his plans were in place, and that his promise and the promises that he had made would come true. So Mark in Mark 1 verse 1 to 3 tells us this, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. You see, that tells us that Jesus has always been the Messiah and the Son of God. Then Mark goes on, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, and then he tells us what Isaiah said, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare the way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. And when we come to John's Gospel, John opens his Gospel with these words that take us back back 
in time, back to the time before creation and then into the time of creation. John chapter 1 verse 1 to 5, listen to these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You know, as you go through the book of Job, this is the same light that keeps shining into the darkness of Job's condition. And we see little glimmers of this as we go through the book. And then John goes on and tells us what the Word did. This is in verse 14. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And then John goes on to tell us even more. He tells us who the Word is. This is verse 29 of John 1. The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, God is, was, and always will be in control. As he is in control here in the life of Job. So, there's a question. Where is Job's Redeemer? Where is Job's advocate? And there's another question. Who is Job's redeemer and advocate? Well, the where, the place, is in heaven with God. And he's there when Satan was tempting Job to curse God. The person, Job's redeemer and advocate, is Jesus Job's certain hope is a hope that is a realised hope. You know, the events that we are reading in the book of Job predates the writings of Isaiah. Isaiah who prophesied the arrival of the Messiah, a Redeemer, the Promised One. The events that we're reading in the book of Job predates the time that Jesus would walk on this earth. And while he was here, he would die, be buried, rise again from the dead and ascend into heaven to be our advocate. See, the things that Job hoped for are the now things for us. Things that have been seen. Job's faith was that these things would happen. His faith was in the hope of these things. That wasn't only Job who wanted everyone to know the things that Job knew, the fact that he knew that his Redeemer lived. It was God who also wants everyone to know this. We said that Job lived at the time of Abraham, the time of the patriarchs, before the nation of Israel was established. Just a little aside thought here. In Job's day, not only was writing a common occurrence, it was also that engraving on lead and stone was also a common occurrence. Modern archaeology has confirmed this fact. Well, back to another question. 
You know, someone asked me, who wrote the book of Job? Well, the short answer is, we don't have a name for the writer, but we know the name of the author. We know the name of the one who authorised that it be written. That is, God. It would be good for us to pause at this point and just take a a little look at another well-known verse, this time in the New Testament. It's 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. And that verse starts, all scripture is God-breathed. So this is telling us that God is the author of all scriptures, of all scripture. You know, the writer is guided by the Holy Spirit. But the important thing is that we know that the words are God's words. We do know the names of some of the writers of the books in our Bible, but not all of them. For example, we know that Moses is credited with the first five books of the Bible, those books known as the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. We know the name of the Gospel writers. We also know that Paul wrote his letters, and Paul, within his letters, acknowledges that his writing is God-breathed. Now, if we're not told who wrote a book, for us to spend time speculating would only detract from the meaning of the book itself. Such is the book of Hebrews. You know, many will discuss this. Um, We're not told who the writer is. Some will say it's Paul. Some will say it's someone else. But, you know, we don't know the writer. And maybe the reason we don't know the writer is because the content of the book is that which is important. Uh, And this is probably the case with the book of Job. First important thing is that our Bibles are the Word of God written down under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. The other important thing is to know why we have God's Word recorded for us. Which brings us back to the second part of 2 Timothy 3 verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. Therefore, the book of Joel is God-breathed and is for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. You might say now that we are almost halfway through this book of Job, how can all this talk of suffering and of what seems to be endless repetitive discussions, raising many questions and giving very few answers, how can this be of help to us? Well, the truth is it's a great help to us in many ways. Let's just consider one or two as we draw to a close this evening. One thing it tells us is that sometimes the righteous will be called to suffer. Isaiah and the Gospel writers present us with a glimpse of how Jesus suffered and how he suffered on our behalf. And here in the book of Job, we are given an opportunity to see something of the depth of suffering and to see the depths of his sufferings, the sufferings that Jesus went through. 
hopefully giving us a greater understanding of why Jesus had to suffer. We see the glory of God in this book. We see the majesty of God. We see the grace of God. And we also see the awfulness and the seriousness of sin and the need for the judgments of God. You know, throughout the darkness of this book, as I mentioned already, we do see precious glimpses of light that remind us of the deeper relationship that we have with God and a greater understanding of faith. As we've just seen in the few verses we've looked at this evening and we've seen the faith of Job, the hope that he had in things still not seen. And we also have many warnings about the need to apply the right things, the the right application of God's word and how not doing this can sometimes unintentionally cause hurt to others. Now, we have an example of this in the following verses. You see, in these following verses, 28 and 29, Job warns his friends that their righteousness does not mean that they will always be free from suffering. In other words, Job will say to them, as you look at me, remember, this could be you. You are righteous. And it could be that you will suffer like I am suffering. Let's just in a few moments think about this because in these two verses 28 and 29 there's a warning to his friends in 28 Job says if you however or if you say however we will hound him since the root of the trouble lies in him you see they continue to hound Job because they are convinced that the cause of his suffering is unconfessed sin they refuse to believe that Job is innocent And they refuse to believe that he is a righteous man. Job doesn't claim to be sinless, but he does claim to be righteous. His friends will not believe this because they will not believe that God would allow a righteous man to suffer as Job is suffering. Now, let's think about it. You see, based on this line of theology, Jesus would never have suffered. Why? Because he was righteous. Based on this line of theology, Eliphaz, Bildad and Zophar, being righteous godly men, are saying that they would never be called to suffer. So here's a question to consider. If Job is right, and if at the times God does allow the righteous to suffer, Are Job's friends afraid that this would mean that they might be called by God to suffer as Job is? As you consider this, think of how Jesus suffered. Matthew 26 verse 42. This is when Jesus prayed before his arrest. He went away a second time and prayed, My father If it is not possible, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Let's remember what he said to the two disciples 
who asked if they could sit on his left and his right hand in glory. This is in Matthew 20, 22 to 23. Jesus said to them, You don't know what you're asking. Jesus said to them, Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can't, they answered. Well, of course, they could not and would not suffer as Jesus suffered because they could not suffer for the sins of the world as Jesus did. But he went on. Listen to what he said. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit on my right and left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. Jesus here is reminding them that they could not, they could not drink the cup that he drank when he died on the cross and paid the price for our sins, but they would drink from that cup. In other words, they would be called to suffer. They would suffer for the sake of the gospel, and they did suffer for the sake of the gospel. So what does Jesus say to us today? Well, let's stay in Matthew, Matthew sixteen twenty three. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. There's a few things there for us to think about. There are some great lessons there that we are learning and we're learning them from the book of Job. Next week, we'll see how it so far replies to Job. Because verse 29 says, and this is Job's warning to them, you should fear the sword yourselves, for wrath will bring punishment by the sword, and then you will know that there is judgment. He's telling them that their wrong assumptions are leading them to accuse an innocent man of being an enemy of God, and that they themselves could be standing under the wrath of God and then they will know about God's judgment. So as I said, we will see that in the words of Zophar in his reply, that he fully understands what Job is saying to him. Let's just close in prayer. Father, we do thank you for this book of Job. We know that sometimes we struggle to understand it. We don't and never will fully understand it. But there are great lessons that we can take from it, that we can learn about suffering, that we might know how to speak to those who we know are suffering, and also that we ourselves might be prepared for a time when we might be called to suffer. Our Father, just speak to us, teach us, lead us, rebuke us, as we go through this book of Job, because we go in the name of Jesus, and we go as you guide and lead us, and we ask these things in your precious name. Amen.